Welcome to the Thrive TV Show with Lauren Parsons, helping you boost your health, energy, and productivity. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Thrive TV Show. My name is Lauren Parsons. I'm your host, and today I'm joined by Susan Hunter, all the way from Melbourne, Australia. So thanks for being with me today, Susan. Thanks for having me, Lauren. It's really great to connect with you. So Susan is a wellbeing expert and naturopath. And today we're talking about the importance of radical self-care. So we're going to talk about how radical self-care begins with believing that you're good enough and putting yourself at the front of the line, how practicing the fundamentals of health, like eating well, sleeping enough and exercising regularly has become a radical thing to do, and how radical self-care means that we make choices and decisions that honor and reflect the true nature of ourselves. So before we get into all of that, Susan, can I just ask you our this and that questions? Of course. <laughs> Fantastic. So tell me, spots or stripes? Spots. Spots, okay. Logical or creative? Pretty logical. <laughs> okay, nice. Batman or Superman? Oh, Superman. Okay, nice. Would you rather have a popular pre-made travel tour or build your own itinerary from scratch? Uh, I like my own itinerary for sure. Okay, nice. Cake or chocolate? Chocolate. <laughs> cool. City or countryside? I'm a city girl. Okay, fantastic. Leggings or jeans? Jeans all the way. Nice. And singing or dancing? Oh, both. <laughs> okay, nice. Cool. <laughs> So a little bit more about Susan. Susan Hunter is a double degree qualified naturopath with a background in psychology and almost 15 years of clinical experience. She loves helping women who are stretched, stressed and struggling. Often they're women in demanding careers that may or may not have family to also juggle. And Susan knows what happens when women don't prioritize their well-being. She did it and she's seen clients do the same thing. So she's passionate about empowering and educating women so they can avoid the burnout that comes with pushing too hard and losing sight of what's really important, which is them. So I feel like we've got a lot of alignment on all of those things. So it's amazing to have you with us, Susan. So tell me, what do you love most about what you're doing at the moment? I think it's um, really satisfying to be able to help others it's often women uh, be able to really dig down and uncover and understand the underlying drivers for why they don't feel their best so mm -hmm. I love using a lot of diagnostic testing and have done so much training around interpretation of that testing that when it comes time to bringing together all our data that we collect I feel like I'm sitting down with a crystal ball and giving a very accurate indication mm -hmm. about what's going on right now. And then when we know what's going on, we're able to really put together some powerful strategies to be able to help you get living the life you need to live and feeling your best. Mm -hmm. So you're doing diagnostic in terms of looking at people's actual medical profiles and where they're at to see yeah. what's actually going on at a biological level. And I guess at a at an emotional level as well and how those work together. Yeah, absolutely. So I love data points, whether they're quantitative or qualitative. Everyone I work with 
has that routine letter I'm writing to their doctor in order to get the tests done, whether they're functional or general pathology tests, but also diagnostics around where we're sitting on a mindset level. And um, even using things like your measurables, like your aura rings or your Fitbits and Garmin's to be able to work out, you know, just some indication about where sleep's at, where your metabolic rate's at, all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, fantastic. And so tell us what you mean by, you know, this idea of radical self-care. Why is that radical to be prioritising self-care? Yeah, I think, you know, my own experience of parenting over the last decade or so helped me kind of get to understanding the importance of this and why it is so radical to look after yourself Mm -hmm. on every level um I know so many women I've worked with as well have a similar story where they only really turn up and ask for help after their kids kind of head off to school and they've gone from treating themselves like they're nothing and their kids are everything and Mm. realize that they've got five six things that are going wrong in their body and everything's very connected of course but it's just been Mm -hmm. years of self-neglect And I think it really comes back to realising that you do deserve to be front of the line and not at the back of the line and that it's really important for you to be doing that in order to be able to give to others in the first place. And so I think we kind of get that wrong. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I often talk about that. You know, we've got to fill our own cup up so that we have more love and energy and passion and drive to give out to everyone else around us. But I think so many people, particularly women, as you mentioned, will feel like, well, if I take time out for me, then that's selfish and then I feel guilty. And we know that guilt is one of those emotions that we do anything we can to move away from. So it really takes a lot of mindset work, doesn't it, to actually go, no, taking time for me is essential. And to, you know, hit eject on that old tape saying that it's selfish. So what, what are the keys? You mentioned that it's about you know acknowledging yourself loving yourself first so how do we move towards that it's so big I think um you know the blockages some of the reasons that kind of sit behind why we don't do that for ourselves I think that inability to love ourselves unconditionally as we grow you know you look at children I look at two three four year olds that are just not self-conscious there's you know, yeah. none of the conditioning that's kind of impacted and they're just free to be themselves and they really sit with, you know, they're um, owning what they need, what they want, and we've, we lose that along the way for lots of reasons. And it can be trauma. It can be um, just patterns of uh, behaviour and, and our thought processes that really are the blockages Um And it can be perfectionism that gets in the way. It can be being too busy and caught up with, you know, working our way up a a career ladder or Mm -hmm. investing all our time and energy in little people that 100% rely on us. Um, So it's really trying to kind of come back to knowing you're worthy, knowing you're good enough and then kind of beginning to build from there. So um, I think once we start to embrace our imperfections, once we embrace our vulnerabilities and we're kind of open, um, we can really feel like we're good enough and put ourselves first. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And all of that rings absolutely true for me. And I've seen that as you have, I'm sure, seen 
know, clients go through such a dramatic change when they can embrace that and realize yeah. that, yeah, actually it's okay to put myself first and I'm, I'm worth that because we know that dramatic change can take place and it is possible. So yeah. what would you say to the people that are listening in, you know, that are perhaps feeling like, well, that sounds amazing, but you know, what, how would I even start? Yeah. So I think starting probably begins with having, you know, intentional meetings with yourself where you get to know yourself a little bit better. I think when you've put others first, you probably don't even know what you need and you don't know what you want. You don't really know yourself that well. And I think spending time getting to know yourself, becoming your own best friend um, is a really good place to be. And I know in lots of cases I'm doing a very shared care approach with my clients. Yes, we work on mindset, but sometimes if there is an inability to be able to implement the principles of mindset mastery that I like working on, it might be that we need to work with a psychologist and look mm -hmm. at something like schema therapy or, um, you know, act therapy and, work on being able to move through um, some of those traumas or past blockages that come up. Mm, very interesting. What are some of the things that you're seeing most often in terms of diagnostics you're doing or, you know, are there, mm. are there things you're seeing regularly that people aren't aware of that they should be aware of? Yeah, uh, particularly for women that kind of hit that, you know, perimenopause, you know, early mm. 40s, mid 40s kind of um, age stage. You know, across the board, most women are either iron deficient and or zinc deficient. Um, so quite mm -hmm. often we're spending a lot of time just topping up those minerals. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I also find is when I do stress hormone profiling, quite often their stress reserves, that ability to kind of pick yourself up and, and get back into doing stress response and, you know, in a healthy way, that's pretty mm -hmm. depleted. So, so many women are sort of on the verge of burnout and not even recognising it because they just continue to kind of adrenalise and get themselves through day-to-day -day mm -hmm. stuff. And what I find is a lot of women tend to be quite low on progesterone, which causes these fluctuations yes. in their other reproductive hormones like their estrogens. And so that looks like PMS or that looks like night sweats at night and it just looks like low energy in general. Um, and, you know, uh, mood stuff that can go on for more than a week at a time. Um, mm. And I think the one other thing I tend to see is thyroids, you know, that thyroid mm -hmm. gland, which, you know, is really in charge of metabolism, um, that tends to fluctuate too. So you get this kind of hormonal roller coaster ride going on. Absolutely, yeah. You want to get on top of. Mm. And these are things that affect so many women in their day-to-day, -day, you know, either from having lack of energy or from being irritable or moody or sad, you know, that, that I believe that there's a lot of things that are going on in terms of the mental health space that obviously relate to what's going on in the endocrine system or hormonally. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I do a lot of training with integrative doctors and psychiatrists and pharmacists around the real importance of 
gut health, around mental health. You know, we're really starting to draw these connections around what you eat impacts how you feel, what your gut microbiome looks like impacts how you feel. We're making neurotransmitters Mm -hmm. in our gut. And the more we kind of uncover and unpack the multiple contributing factors to mental health, the more we can kind of come at it without having to put someone on antidepressants straight away and think that's the end of the story. So mm-hmm. um, it's exciting to be able to know that sometimes your mood is because of nutrient deficiencies or mm-hmm. blood sugar dysregulation or mm-hmm. inflammation. You know, it's not just a serotonin imbalance. Yeah, absolutely. And so tell me about your approach in terms of food, supplementation. Are you making recommendations around both areas? Yeah, it's a good question. I really try and do as much food as medicine. Sometimes we need bigger therapeutic doses. So we'll lean into using supplements for a time, retest, make sure that our markers are improving, moving in the right direction, know when to finish or stop something. Uh, But in terms of food, I'm not one of those practitioners that likes to put anyone on a restricted diet unless we have that evidence that that in fact is what is needed or that you have recognized when I eat gluten, I get muscle pain. And when Mm. I eat gluten, I get brain fog. Well, obviously we need to pull out gluten and Mm. understand the role it's playing. Um, But overall, in terms of maintenance diets, I'm a real fan of the blue zone way of eating. It's that time tested way where you've seen cultures across different parts of the world Uh, eat to uh, and live to 100 disease free and they still get to drink wine and they still have coffee so I'm a big fan (laughs) of that approach where you know it's about connection it's about whole food mostly a plant-based diet Mm -hmm. so for those that haven't heard of that term for the blue zone diet what does that what are the lot of the things that are included in that Yeah, so there have been five areas around the world that have been identified as blue zone areas by researchers where they found that the vast majority of people that live there live to 100. So these centenarians, centenarians, I can never say it properly, um, are able to, you know, not have to hit the gym in order to be healthy. Like they just have incidental exercise in their life. They have very strong ties to community and family and in Loma Linda in California there's even you know the strong connection to faith and what they found is you know these people are eating 90 to 95 percent plant-based meat fish poultry these are all condiments these are sort of just a small part of what they eat they don't eat too many eggs they'll drink coffee but it's just black they'll drink red wine for its high antioxidant content, but with others and at one or two. So they eat to enjoy, they drink to enjoy, they don't eat to numb. Um, I think mm-hmm. they kind of operate from a really beautiful kind of baseline and healthy lifestyle. And we've got a lot we can learn. Mm, and it's so interesting, isn't it? And obviously we're not trying to prescribe any of these foods or, or not prescribe others in this conversation, but it's interesting. And what I think is most interesting about that is, as you say, the approach to food, because part of my background is that I went and lived in France for a year when I was 18 and went through an experience of actually putting on a whole lot of weight because I was eating like a Kiwi living in France. You know, my, my host brother taught me how wonderful it is, you know, introduced me to the concept of 
nibbling the end of the baguette when you pick it up from the boulangerie on your way home from school and then the 100 meter walk back to the house like somehow half the baguettes disappeared and you know and then I'd want afternoon tea and then I'd want a full dinner after having just had like a full school lunch and so what I noticed was that six months into my exchange I was looking in this closet full of clothes that no longer fitted me and I was really miserable and I didn't have a budget to replace them and I just thought what am I going to do but I something changed when I started to notice how everyone else around me was eating and that their whole approach to food, even when we we're eating the same types of food, like at school, for example, we were given the same platter of, you know, a starter and a main and a cheese and a yogurt and a bread roll. I would just eat all of it, whether I really needed it or, or wanted it or not. It was just like an automatic thing and I wasn't really appreciating the food so it's really interesting you know once I started to adopt the French attitude to food and just managed to do what they call faire attention which is to pay attention to how I felt and to my hunger and satiety cues and to learn that it was okay to be hungry and in fact that's what bon appetit means it means you know literally have a good appetite be hungry so that whole uh, attitude to food around mealtime as being a special occasion and just really respecting and loving your food but allowing yourself to enjoy and indulge and and really enjoy that moment without the guilt was life-changing for me and also by the way just to complete the story it helped me to effortlessly lose the weight to get back to just what was a really healthy weight for me Mm. yeah there's so much to be learned from various cultures about how they approach food and you know we, we live in this time where we've got a fully packed fridge and pantry and food is on tap and you know, you've got to, like you said, check in with yourself and listen, pay attention and go, do I need that or do I just need a glass of water? Um, do I need that after dinner? Like if if you are having really strong cravings, that's a sign that there's something out of balance. And what you're craving is often a clue about what's going on too. You know, mm. if you need salty and, you know, savoury foods constantly, we need to look at your electrolyte levels and your fluid balance and what's going on there. And if it's constantly a chocolate craving, well, maybe we need to look at your magnesium levels and maybe intuitively you're trying to get your magnesium levels up in your body. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, and it can be, you know, quite often low energy where we crave carbs. We want to get a quick energy boost or mm-hmm. low serotonin levels if we find with those carb cravings we get, yes. you know, sleep issues and mood problems like aggression or like depression. So your body is always throwing off these signs. We just need to listen to it and checking in with yourself and really understanding why you feel the way you do is really a great way to unlock how to live in balance for you. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So interesting, isn't it? And I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of people that will be listening and they're going, Oh, I've got a magnesium deficiency. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, but there's so, such a myriad of reasons. And it's so interesting that I think so often we're just so busy and caught up in the rush and in our heads that a lot of us have lost that real understanding of, you know, just paying attention to our bodies because they are constantly sending us clues, aren't they? Mm. So true, so true. So interesting. Now, you also said that, you know, being able to actually prioritise self-care really comes down to making decisions that honour and reflect your your true nature. What did you mean by that? Yeah, I think we can always sort of, well, there's so much information out there about what healthy looks like and what well-being looks like. And I think it sort of comes back to 
knowing yourself well and knowing what you need. So Mm -hmm. um, identifying what you want, what you need, what makes you happy, what's going to make your life simpler, easier, um, and then being able to um, go with what what works for you rather than what you think you should do. So, you know, so many people are like, I think I need to be on a paleo diet or I think to try the keto diet or I think mm-hmm. I need to be in oh, My friend did this one and it worked really well and my other friend did that and now I've got to try this, yeah. Yeah, and I think I have to go do this kind of exercise and I think it's really good to educate yourself and kind of weed through the misinformation because there can be some of that out there. But then also tuning into your own intuition like knowing what works well for you trying things out does yoga feel good does running feel good um and then you know again checking in and working out what works for you what doesn't there's a bit of experimentation that often happens our data points give us a lot of information about what will and won't work for you so for instance if we know that your adrenals stress response is flatlining running six kilometers every day is going to really just deplete that further so we don't want to do strenuous exercise it's acidifying for your body you probably don't have you don't probably don't feel good after you do it um Mm -hmm. so it's really working with not against and it's really just Mm -hmm. reducing any kind of resistance or tension for being well it shouldn't be that hard to be in balance Mm, that's so interesting I think that might be an eye-opener for a lot of people listening in as well you know but I've had similar experiences with clients that have come to me just saying what is going on you know I'm I'm running three mornings a week I'm getting up early or I'm doing this boot camp and I'm I'm restricting I'm doing all the right things I'm following the diet and and yet there's a huge amount of stress going on in their life whether that's through work or family or different things and so I think it's really critical to be aware of that and be aware of the stress load on the body and to realize that exercise is another stress load to the body. And as much as, you know, I hate to say that I don't want to put people off exercise altogether because it's also a huge stress release and, and it's important, but perhaps for a period of time, it may just be needing to focus on restorative movement and, and real breathing and just helping to calm things down and that stress response before you can move over to thinking about, okay, how are we going to, foster this rebuilding of of really some of the foundations of health yeah absolutely and it's not just the adrenals that can be impacted by physiological stresses like Mm -hmm. that you know like I mentioned your your ph your systemic ph can be really acidic as a result of strenuous exercise stress and you know not eating an alkaline enough diet that combination Mm -hmm. of things predispose you to you know uh, bone loss muscle loss of sarcopenia osteoporosis that's where we run into trouble so it's not uncommon for me to see people that were running marathons in their 30s with osteopenia and osteoporosis in their 40s Um, so it's really good to identify those things and you know the thyroid is another example of you know caloric restriction when we kind of you know really pull back those carbohydrates under a certain level our thyroid gland just hibernates you know so we end up with really big hormonal imbalances and people don't realize they think that by going hard they're doing the right thing and sometimes it actually throws us into a state of of disease so yeah Mm. important to track 
so important. Yeah, I think this has probably been a really eye-opening, ear-opening episode for people to watch and listen into. And, you know, obviously we're, we're not giving specific advice on you need to do this or need to do that. That's got to be so personalised and so individualised, doesn't it? But I guess the key That's message it. is start listening to your body and as you mentioned getting to know yourself even more being your best friend realizing that you really do need to put yourself first so that you can go out and show up as your best self and and obviously there is help out there that you can get things get those data points verify them and then figure out a plan that's in relation to what you need rather than something off the internet or something that your best friend has tried that hey maybe has worked for them yeah Yeah. wow So if people did want to find out more about you, Susan, how can they do that? Sure. You can um, visit my website. So it's susanhunter.com.au. And I'm also on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. Yeah, fantastic. Wonderful. And if you could just share one final piece of advice for our listeners, what would that be? Yeah, I think if you're not already doing it, put yourself at the front of the line because you deserve it. Um, and you may not feel like you do, but just pretend <laughs> until you start to really believe it um, and really start to tune in and listen to and identify, even if it's just one thing that you know you need that will make your life easier or help you feel happier, better. Just commit to that and make that just your one goal. And then what you probably will find that when you implement it, whether it's choosing to go to bed at 9.30 at night or choosing to walk for an hour every day, first thing in the morning, there will be a ripple effect. There's a knock-on effect to when we exercise. Our mood is better. Our energy is better. We feel good. We're lighter. We're clearer. We're sharper. So, you know, I'm a big believer in implementing that one keystone habit, committing to it, not being just interested in it and kind of dipping in and out of it, but really committing to it and just seeing it through and listening to your body and seeing how that makes you feel. Mm-hmm. I love that. As you were just talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, as you were just talking about choosing that one habit, I think that's so critical and so on point because obviously we've talked about a whole lot of things that may sound and feel overwhelming to picture, oh my goodness, you know, what, what if something is going on with my thyroid or my adrenal levels or my serotonin levels or whatever it is. But actually just thinking what's one thing that you can do, because I really, as you mentioned, you know, we do have a lot within our own intuition to know, actually, I know that sleep is the thing that I need to get better at, or yeah, I want to add in some movement or whatever it may be, and then try that out. And and as Susan said, just focus on the one thing, because when we do that, that has huge power. And, And also it means that we're much more likely to succeed and then to be able to feel proud of that and be able to then take the next step and kind of staircase up yeah fantastic well thank you so much Susan I've loved talking to you and just getting to know you a little bit through this interview and just thank you for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom I'm sure that it's going to help a whole lot of people out there so thank you to everyone that's listened in today that's been another episode of the Thrive TV show make sure you head to thrivetvshow.com so you can check out the show notes and if you're not already watching this you can see the TV version of the show thank you for joining us and go out and thrive thank you for listening to the Thrive TV show with Lauren Parsons visit thrivetvshow.com to access the show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next inspiring episode